My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicious. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. Megamorphs 1. What was the book this week? On this week's episode, it's Megamorphs 1, The Andalite's Gift. I mean, The Andalite's Gift, to clarify, is morphing. So it really is just Megamorphs 1, The Animorphs. The Animorphs. (laughs) Ted, do you want to give us a 60-second summary? So in this book, the Animorphs try to have a normal weekend while Rachel goes away to a gymnastics camp. And so Cassie and Jake go to a pool party that Marco wasn't invited to, so Marco convinces Axe that they should sneak into the pool party as mice, which they do, and while they're there, they are attacked by a super fast, super deadly particle swarm monster from Saturn called a Velik, which Visser 3 has bioengineered to hunt morphing energy, so whenever the Animorphs are morphing, they'll be chased by this monster. So they manage to escape the pool party, but the Valique hunts them around the town and ends up capturing Axe and Marco, who are taken back to the blade ship to face Visser 3, but they manage to escape. Meanwhile, Rachel has failed to go to gymnastics camp. Instead, she flew into a tree, got amnesia, woke up halfway into bird morph, and was wandering around the woods, getting into a lot of trouble, getting captured and maimed, and eventually reuniting with the other Animorphs. So while this is going on, the Animorphs discover that the Velik has two weaknesses. It can't pick up very heavy morphs, and it doesn't like water. So they lure the Velik over the ocean, and Tobias drops Cassie on top of it from a great height, and she morphs into a whale, which drowns the Velik. The end. Yay! That was very well organized. Nice. (laughs) So, Gray, what did you think of this first Megamorphs book? A lot happened in this book. (laughs) Yet it wasn't as, well, because it was so much longer, I Mm -hmm. think they felt they had more space to play, and therefore it was not as tightly woven as these narratives often are. Yeah. It has a very different feel. Yeah. (laughs) It does. I think this is the first one where it's, this book is fun. None of the other books have been really, like, fun in this way so far. I think there are some other ones coming up that, like, they really do take the time to play, like you were saying, Gray. It feels a lot like a Monster of the Week Buffy episode to me. Like, <laughs> One of the sillier ones where like they have to parent eggs and it turns out the eggs are you know, right, taking over right. their brains or something. And it even has like the weird B-plot where Rachel has amnesia. Rachel, they Rachel easily could have has done amnesia. <laughs> there are so many loose threads that are not tied up, especially as regards character development moments. Yeah. That I feel yeah. in a normal Animorphs book... Any one of these characters could have had an arc, which Mm -hmm. was in some way resolved, which is not the case in this book. There is very little by way of character development. Yeah, I'd argue Cassie gets an arc, but she's the only one. Well, Axe kind of has a moment or a partial arc. There are little things. There are these like little moments for each of them, I think. Rachel having amnesia and that being very difficult for her. Cassie has has a sort of arc towards the end. Cassie has the biggest emotional plot, I think. Only two chapters. Yeah. Um, I well, not really. I feel like it starts in at the beginning where she tells Jake about her fears, and then she's worried that he isn't bringing her on the mission to find Rachel because he's she's worried about her, and she she's relieved that she doesn't right. have to go. So I feel like it, the seeds are there, and then it escalates and get, does get resolved more quickly than if it was just her point of view. That's a good right. point. Yeah, it was also really interesting to me the way the chapters were divided up. So because it's a Megamorphs book, there are alternating chapters. And I had expected going in that they would alternate like the books alternate. So it would be the mm-hmm. same oh, pattern. Oh, like a strict rotation. And it was not. And not only was it not a strict rotation, it was very unevenly divided between yeah. the six characters. So Rachel has 13 chapters. Marco has nine. Cassie has seven. And Jake has six. Axe has five. Tobias has three. Oof. Well, he was asleep for all the action. Which I would like to come back to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that kind of gets at the challenges of a structure of a book like this, where 
normally they've had one character's point of view to work with for, I think of it as like 300 pages, because that's how many pages it is on my phone in the iBooks app. <laughs> and this was like 33% again as long. And so they had more space, but they didn't have more space per character. They had to balance six different points of view, and they've never had to do that mm-hmm. in the works before. I thought that Cassie's character comes through... Axe's character comes through, and it's also the first time we've heard from Axe, yeah, so it, it kind of has to. Mm-hmm. Um, Marco and Rachel probably do, but Jake and Tobias didn't didn't really seem like themselves, at least in this short of a quantity. Yeah. I don't know if that's like they just mm-hmm. didn't really develop emotionally, but even when Jake was talking about like dealing with his fear, it seemed a little lightly written compared to some of the yeah, stuff. Yeah, you kind of have to choose where to focus, I guess, when mm-hmm. you yeah. have six characters. And because, like, it's always the joy with this kind of book. Like, I remember these existing in, like, other series of bouncing back and forth. Like, the characters are in different places for some reason. Mm -hmm. And there are different things happening. Like, normally you have kind of the one plot line. And in this case, the way they divided them up was to give Rachel amnesia, (laughs) which... Is a hilarious choice, um, but and it, so it, it makes works sense with that the way more... the Valique works too, right? Because mm-hmm. they're separated for kind of arbitrary reasons, but they also don't understand why they're not immediately being killed or captured mm-hmm. by the monster. And it's kind of because right. they're in different they places; separated, they're morphing they in different be, places. Yeah. The Valique has to travel. You know, it's it's how they slowly reveal. It's very that convenient plot point. that the Valique attacked on this weekend when they were going to be split up by amnesia. That's true. There's a lot of stuff that's really convenient. <laughs> a but, lot of convenient. So, yes. What do you think about genre. what do you think about this book overall, Jenny? Um, I really enjoy this book. It's just it's so silly and it's so delightful. It's much less heavy than some of the previous ones, uh, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I remembered more so than almost anything. Maybe, maybe except for the Tobias book in the first book, I remembered a lot from this. I think yeah. I must have read this over and over and over again. <laughs> this is one that I think I yeah, I, to. I know this one as well really well. I can see that it is much more lighthearted in a lot yeah. of ways. Only one really bad thing happens. The morphs are no grosser than they have been in recent books. <laughs> right. It's. Pretty and there are very funny vignettes throughout. So the them driving in the car, for oh, example. Yeah, Hilarious. I was cracking up. Right, yeah. it's a callback to the first book where Marco can't drive. It's so good. <laughs> How good is he? He's at like, I games? didn't say I could drive. I said I logged a lot of hours at this video game. <laughs> I wrote. I just like excerpted a bunch of lines just because they were funny from that mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, it's very. Okay, funny. So it was four trash cans. Do you hate trash cans? <laughs> Is that what it is? Do you just hate trash cans? <laughs> I can't drive with you screaming in my ear. You can't drive at all. And the whole pool party thing the where Marco party. feels left out and he ropes Axe in. And Tobias is like, this is not a good idea. Don't listen to him. But Axe just doesn't really understand. <laughs> Our Axe is like, I'm suffering. <laughs> Marco has promised me. <laughs> and then Tobias is like, you're blackmailing Axe with flea powder. Right, right. Which becomes plot relevant later on. Yes, it does. It's great. Brilliantly enough. But that whole thing, and like the mean-spirited prank where he's he's a mouse, and then he's like thought-speaking his name to try and get the girls to talk about him. It's great. Like the stakes are so, so low until our house gets destroyed by a monster. That is true. But yeah, it's really wonderful seeing how their powers can be applied in their normal lives without this. And it makes us have horrible nightmares and, you know, right. mm-hmm. run in screaming terror. It was really enjoyable having, like, Jake and Cassie at the pool party being like, that's definitely Marco and Axe and Morph. Right. <laughs> Those mice should go to Cassie or someone might kill them. Someone like me, Jake says. That's so good. Uh, oh, the conversation about whether Darlene likes him or like likes him. <laughs> <laughs> and Axe trying to understand the distinction. And, and he does understand it because then he, he explains it to Tobias <laughs> later. It's like, Darlene likes him, but she doesn't like him. <laughs> Tobias is like, yeah, that's pretty much how everyone feels about Marco. Okay, I gotta say, now that I have slash goggles on about these characters, this yeah. totally reads as Marco asking Axe to come to the party with him, like <gasps> on a date. Okay, so I he has to explain to be wearing slash goggles, but you're so right. <laughs> he has to kind of explain what liking is to him, and he's like, oh, I'm, we, neither of us got invited, we have to go together you so you know, it's about girls this, it's not about us you could see this coming back later where Axe tries to navigate a conversation about whether he like likes marco exactly he does yeah and the beginning of that Axe chapter i find very entertaining i had gone along with marco on his foolish venture to the home of the human <laughs> named darlene i knew it was foolish but i thought it would be better for marco to have someone with him oh marco is highly intelligent but he is also very afflicted by a condition <laughs> the humans call sense of humor. <laughs> it works so well. 
<laughs> yes, okay, these two need to be together. This is going to be great. Yeah, Axe is hilarious. So we had our first Axe point of view. Gray, mm-hmm. what do you think about this character? I was very entertained by him. He is fantastic as a comedy character. <laughs> he is an excellent foil He's to He's the Marco. straight man, yeah. Yeah, they have... Despite their romance, yeah. Exactly. They, they play well together, which is great. You get a little bit of his feelings about like his brother and, and what his mm. motivation is going to be. He does still have some of those vocal tics that he, uh-huh. as a human... <laughs> Irresistible. Um, but his voice... In when it's his point of view is so deadpan. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. It's like who was wondering if we we don't know if Axe has a very very dry sense of humor or no sense of humor at all. Mm-hmm. Right. I found this sort of Andalite honor stuff a little bit of a snooze. I'm sure yeah. it'll get fleshed out more when we hear more from Axe. But I was kind of like, come on, you know, like why would anyone really expect you to just get yourself killed the moment you see Visor Three? Like, can't you think of a little bit longer term? <laughs> It did feel a little like the stuff he was saying, especially in book five, about like, well, the the greater the danger, the greater the honor. Like we, you know, we must go into battle for yeah. honor. And it felt like he was sort of reciting stuff he'd heard, but like hadn't really internalized. Like, I don't know. It feels like something maybe he's going to slough off a little bit as he sees the realities of battle and war mm-hmm. right. grows. When he does meet Visser Three, they, you know, he's like yerk filth and they're really like getting in each other's faces. But then he shouts, my uncles will destroy you, which is, <laughs> it's not that intimidating. <laughs> no, but he does it to make Visor 3 think that they're Andalites. Right. Mm-hmm. But just yeah. something about saying my, <laughs> my uncles, uncles, right? <laughs> it's not what you usually, even my cousins or my brothers, but. Right. Well, it really posits him as a child also. Mm-hmm. Which, like, we knew that already, but to have Visor 3 look at him and be like, you're not even full grown. They send a child? Like, really drove that home. Like, oh, right, they're all mm-hmm. they're all children. Did you catch that Andalites have multiple hearts? Yeah. Very complicated hearts. Yeah. That go very simple when you turn into a flea. <laughs> also, Marco thinks Andalites can run up to 40 miles per hour. Sir, fun Andalite facts. <laughs> it's really important that we teach kids what Andalites can do so that mm-hmm. when, you know, they have full Andalite knowledge for their well, lives. So it wasn't in this one. book, but in yeah. the last book, Andalites' backs slope down so you yeah. can't ride them, which is why nobody has ridden Axe yet and perhaps never will. That's a really good point. I hadn't really put that together. Yeah. Good, helpful facts. We also learned how quickly elephants run in this one. Yes, okay. and how much they weigh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very factful. I love the part where Rachel like wakes up in the house that she snuck into and the police are there and she's like, what can I do? Aha, I will morph an elephant. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow, Rachel. There were so many decisions she made that were so Rachel, even though she remembered nothing. It's true. Well, what do you think about this instinctual morphing thing that she does? Because it makes sense when she's trapped halfway into morph when she's kind of like, what am I? Can I be a person again? I have a strong mm-hmm. desire to be a person mm-hmm. again. But when she becomes the bear and later the elephant, she's yeah. kind of thinking about it a little metaphorically. Like, I want to be really powerful. I want to be really big. It's kind of weird that she's able to do it. Yeah. I was like, she's kind of morphing more when she doesn't remember what morphing is than she would when she remembered it. It's kind of easy to hand wave both the instances because with the bear, she was like suffering from smoke inhalation and maybe was in like some sort of half-conscious state where, like, I don't know, she also has these memories, she just can't access them, so maybe there's something there, I don't know. And it's all hand-wavy biotechnology anyway, so maybe once (laughs) you acquire the ability, you don't need to be as focused on it after a while. Or maybe it's that normally they're more focused on not morphing than they give themselves credit for. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, Mm. that's, I don't know, like maybe... (laughs) If you get lazy, you just start, you know, like your hands start Like, maybe if they all turning. had long, yeah, if they all had, like, long-term amnesia, the they would just, like, suddenly start turning to other stuff when they were, like, daydreaming in class, because they wouldn't, like, know. Yeah. It's, it's a little odd. We did get to discover what happens if you're unconscious for part or all of your morph time, which was a question we mm-hmm. had in an earlier episode, a question I had in an earlier episode, and it turns out you can get stuck halfway between and... Man, it's a good thing Rachel woke up. I have that in my notes. Like, thank God Rachel woke up (laughs) before two hours were up. Stuck forever and a half bird, half human. It also raises some questions about morphing because Rachel got some kind of brain damage while in eagle form. And apparently that carried over. Which normally physical damage doesn't, but apparently brain damage is different. Like, somehow when she hit her head as an eagle, did it damage her, like, human brain in Z-space? 
Like, there does need to be some connection there if the human brain is controlling the animal body. This is a good point. I don't know that that's ever going to be explored, but... I remain pre-skeptical about this disease space thing. (laughs) Pre-skeptical is a great word. I approve. The morphs are getting worse overall, both for us as readers and for them. So for us... For me, at least. The last couple of books have been very difficult. There have been a lot Uh of... Uh You happy about going back to fly? Bones. Did not enjoy that. (laughs) Organs disappearing. Bones dissolving. Yeah, she gets the fly legs come out of her chest, and then it says, sploot. Yeah. (laughs) It's horrible. I don't like any of it. I don't like any of it at all. The flea is very bad. All of it is very bad. But it's also morphs a bit, so worse for me, but also for them. Cassie actually says... Some morphs, not many, but a few, are simply wonderful. And that comes from Cassie, who loved morphing and who is so interested and invested in being these different animals. And even she is like, this is just depressing. Like, none none of this is particularly fun. Except that she's saying that some of it is. But not many. Yeah. You know, it's not most of the morphs have been a joy for her. It's like sometimes becoming the fly but being the fly is very fun. Dolphins have a lot of joy. I can have some hope in the form of a whale. But most of the time, this is just really awful. Mm-hmm. Right. Though Rachel also has some really good things to say about the eagle before she gets mobbed by Jays and mm-hmm. crashes into a tree and loses her memory. She's like, yeah, our lives are tough, but like, wow, nothing beats being a bird. But then the morphing is truly horrible for Rachel through the rest of it, right? Mm-hmm. She gets True. All, like being, yeah. a, being a half bird person and waking up and not having an idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely terrible. And then she becomes the bear and gets her hand sawed off, which is like oh yeah, her arm. And then she, yeah, and, and then she, she like thinks when she morphs back that she might still not have right. Her and she's arms. like weeping tears of joy as her like Ugh. fingers emerge from bloody bear paw stumps. And she can't go back because she doesn't know if she'll still have the missing arms mm-hmm. right as mm-hmm. a bear. And this was like my nose. Like I thought this was the lighthearted one. <laughs> like this is this I is mean, a reminder is, that this really yeah. is an animorphs. Yes, book. that. That piece very much was, and the old woman in the cabin in the woods. Yeah, Ooh, can we talk yeah. about that? Please. What a like little episode to just drop in the middle there. So many questions. Right, because it sort of plays like, here's a random thing that happens for a chapter, and then we move on from it. Like, we just needed a reason for Rachel to become a bear so she can break out of something. But it's actually like, that's the other part of the book, like you were saying, that's really mm-hmm. kind of dark and disturbing. Yes. So what do you think happened? Yeah, I was wondering. She said the Yerk died. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, I was actually, when she was introduced, I was like, I forgot this was here. Is this the woman who escaped in book one? But it's not because she said the Yerk died. Mm-hmm. So it's not just she escaped from the Yerk pool. Maybe mm-hmm. this is an early victim of the Candrona. It seems right. like it might be too soon. She's like really gone insane and like built up this huge stash of clothing. Like, and Tobias knows she's there. Like he's like, oh yeah, the woman who lives in that hut. So it's not like she just got there. So maybe it's too soon for that. Maybe it's just a Yerk who died. Mm-hmm. Must happen sometimes. But she talks about when she thinks that Rachel is a yerk. Yeah. Um, so she attacks Rachel, which, fair enough, if you thought that she was a yerk, that seems perfectly reasonable. But the woman says, you don't want to hurt me. You just want to crawl inside my head like you did before. Crawl inside my head. Make me, make me give oh. you my husband. Make me give him to you, my children. All for you. All for you. Controlling me in my head. You died, didn't you, yerk? So... This seemed to me like this woman became a controller, got her husband and children to be controllers as well, and then either fought back enough that the Yerk died or the Yerk died some other way, maybe the controller is whatever it is, and then realized what she had done yeah. and seems to have essentially gone insane from that. Yeah. And Or she might have even gone insane while the Yerk was in her head. Right. right. It's a tough interlude to have. Yeah. At the very beginning, I mean, that's chapter 10 of what is otherwise, as you said, quite a lighthearted book. But there is this this backstory, this sort of bigger thing that's going on. And Rachel, like, wakes up with amnesia. One of the first things she realizes about the world is that she has a terrible enemy. Mm -hmm. And then she hears the woman ranting about Yerk. She's like, am I a Yerk? Like, what is... And she can't go up to anyone's house. Like, there's this 13-year-old girl wandering in the woods being like, I could go up and ask for help, but I don't know who my enemies are. I can't. It's not safe. But at the same time, she doesn't really grapple with the reality of what the woman is going through because she doesn't have the context for it. Oh, right. And yeah, then no. they, they don't return to it later. She might not even think about it again because it was so mm-hmm. so traumatic and such a brief interaction. Yeah. Right. It's hard to really retain 
what the woman said when you don't understand it. Right. But then we get, that's the first, maybe third of the book, has that scene and Rachel losing both of her arms. And then it's mostly fun and games for the rest <laughs> of But also, it. even in that first third, you get, like, the pool party, which is... Yes, good point. Definitely fun and games. Yeah, um, I thought the first bit also had a really good intro to the series premise. Usually we have some sort of caper, and this had a sort of basic explanation of, like, here's what we're doing, which Mm -hmm. is an unusual thing for them to do, but I thought it was... And they split it over several chapters. Each character had a little piece of the exposition to give. This one is really different in structure, because we've been talking about, well, it always starts with that opening caper, which this does not, and it also usually starts with them saying, okay, what can we do to hurt the Yerks? Let's try this thing. And this book is one of the few that has actually a more maybe traditional structure where they're like, we're going to do this thing, and then something happens to totally throw them off Mm -hmm. the rails and they get thrown into this fight that then they have to take control of because they're like, we're going to take a weekend off. Doesn't go so well. You will not. Nice try. Yeah, so great. What did you think about the Valik? The Valik. (laughs) It's a dust cloud. Yeah. Turns into a tornado but with lots of mouths that are always open. <laughs> and then it turns out later, it's not actually dust. It's made of tiny bugs. Yeah. And it eats energy. And it's actually a planet. It's a planet? It's a planet. Well, it's from... Okay, so maybe it's from a planet. It's from, okay. it's from yeah. Saturn. But, like, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> And there are many silly things in these books. Yeah, yeah. But it's very silly. So it's from Saturn. It's made of tiny bugs. And the thing that will kill it is water. Fine. Everything has a, a, a weakness. It probably doesn't have any water on Saturn. So has hasn't developed not, any. As it is a gas giant. Yeah. The thing about it that I would like to talk about is the fact that even though it is able to destroy homes and forests. It cannot lift an elephant. (laughs) And I understand why a bunch of tiny bugs could not lift an elephant. Mm -hmm. However, that seems mighty convenient, (laughs) given that it is otherwise an unstoppable, indestructible force that rips through, for example, tractor trailers. (laughs) But those are two different functions, right? Destroying things versus being able to bear weight. Sure. (laughs) I'm just saying... This is a very I never had any problem with it, but you're right that it is completely unrealistic. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> billions, billions of tiny creatures had evolved into a swarm that could come together and become a destructive entity of gnashing teeth and slicing blades. But in reality, they were separate insect-like creatures that fed on energy. What? <laughs> so I would like to say two things about this creature. One is that it's really hard for me to hear the description and not picture the cherubim from A Wind in the Door. I don't know if either of you has read that. Oh. Okay. Which is not, like, the cherubim isn't destructive. It, like, has, like, tongues of flame and stuff. It's really different, but somehow that's where my mind goes. I always picture the um, bit from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when they go into the TV and they're being, like, transmitted across the room, you know, like just a little swarm of particles. That's a good reference. Yeah, mine was more for like the The, the destructive form. I just pictured it as like a sandstorm, right? Because that's still, that also has that destructive force of many tiny particles. But could it lift an elephant? No. Or turn into blades. Right. Teeth and blades. And eyes. It has hundreds of eyes at some point. It's so organized. Yeah. It's organized, but it's also bioengineerable. Right, so apparently the types of energy that it <laughs> seeks and eats can be modified by the Yerks, which have very sophisticated bioengineering capabilities, but not at all sophisticated surveillance technology. Because <laughs> That's so true. They luckily get a visual lock, whatever that means. It's very difficult on, to get a visual lock, you hear. On the Valique, yeah. while none of the Animorphs are in human form. And then their visual lock capabilities are not good enough that they can stick around to watch the morphing that goes on. Instead, they have to go back to kind of like the bug fighter helicopter style of (laughs) surveillance. When like, if you just had a fleet of drones, the Animorphs would (laughs) lose before the week was over. Also, if you have a swarm of billions of tiny bugs, do you know what you could do with that? Really good surveillance. Exactly. Oh, well, I don't think the bugs can like record what they see or like transmit Uh, what they see, apparently. But maybe if you could reprogram its energy. <laughs> That's true. You, I, like how, back. I like how Vista 3 is like, we reprogrammed it. Like, 
Just as if that, that verb will make it totally possible to change what the species does. <laughs> and Axe is like, yeah, so that makes sense. <laughs> I also, the, Axe is a species that invented the technology to turn from one animal into another, so you and know. Like, and the thing is, with this creature, they have the animorphs such on their back feet for the first time. Oh, that's and true, yet Visitor yeah. 3 is so arrogant. He's like, this plan is foolproof, and like, even though I could just be like killing them... Which is normally what I've been trying to do. Now I can capture them, and that. Will and be he better. captures X and then doesn't infest him right away because he wants him to like suffer or something. Exactly, as if he wouldn't suffer with a yerk in his head. I don't know. Uh, a couple of other things about Visser Three and his uh, approach to this takeover. He definitely should have gotten one of these death things seven books ago. Would have solved a lot of problems. <laughs> it took time to program. Yes, I definitely wanted the end of this book to be Visser Three morphing and getting eaten by his pet. <laughs> I'm really bummed that he, yeah. That would have been a great angle. I really wanted I that love to happen. That. I really yeah. wanted it to. Visser 3 definitely has not read the Evil Overlord list of he things No, he's, to do. he's really like... He's just playing right into that list. He's like, ah, I have you in my power. I will monologue to you and then put you in a, an opaque prison. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Without so doing anything to restrain you other than putting you in this box. Before we get off of the Valik, how do you think the Valik sounds? It has that iconic sound a couple of times. Would I don't you know, like but yeah, I want to hear you uh, give yeah. your Valique impression, mm-hmm, please. Uh, it actually, I think it sounds like the like bass drop from Inception. I think it's just kind of that like blah sound. Mm, so okay, I don't know. Right. I don't know how you can make that happen. I was it's thinking be more like, of like a Bruh! <laughs> like something like that. It's just like grinding, mm. a very grindy noise. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. The way it is often described, it is spelled B R R A A number of A's, yeah, like Brock K K. Which uh, I have previously only seen um, in a, a, a Twitter friend who that is his um, name. <laughs> but I always thought that it sounded like a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is that same sound. No, oh, no, I love but that. I was I definitely that. imagining a the hork pajero that are like chicken coming the, through yeah. and just making a chicken noise <laughs> as it came through the forest. I, again, don't think that that's how that works, but that's there amazing. were some very good sound effects in this one. There's some good animal noises that they make. There's some good onomatopoeias for the car hitting things. <laughs> the car. pretty funny. There's even a little bit of taxon speech. Yes, it now sounds like Ted in my it, head. Me too. <laughs> Those taxons. So did you guys, my perspective on these guys is changing now. So there mm-hmm. were a couple of things that Axe says about them that really stood out to me. So First, he des- when he's describing the taxons, he describes their little lobster claw hands on the upper part of their body as weak but agile, mm-hmm. which just like gives me the creeps. And then he <laughs> says that ta- while the hork bajir are the shock troops, taxons handle the subtle work. And these are like mm. the least subtle creatures imaginable. <laughs> so like, what are they doing? Are they like infiltrating things? Like... I don't think it's that kind of subtle work. I think It'd it's like terrible. controlling the computers on the spaceships. Right. And then and then the taxon is trying to <laughs> like rationally argue with Visor 3, like try and be like, actually, sir, you know, and then gets killed for it. And then all of his taxon friends eat him. Yeah. It's really messed up. <laughs> it's a rough office environment. Yeah. And Visor 3 is threatening them with Kendrona starvation now. Yeah. He's really taking any opportunity. He's and- a bad manager. Speaking of that, I thought the uh, Chapman thing was really interesting, where Cassie's following Chapman through the mall, and he's kind of like, well, now that there's Kendrona rationing going on, we all Mm -hmm, have to, like, mm -hmm. you know, you all have to fall in line. That was a great conversation to overhear, and I liked how it was done. Like, there's a lot of stuff that feels really overly coincidental. That one felt like, you know, she's walking around a mall, she sees him, she morphs, she has to wait a bunch of time, and then he has this meeting with people and like I can imagine them meeting in this public place where they can seem kind of anonymous like that all actually felt kind of yeah. reasonable and it was it was like the one piece it was one of the few pieces of serialization in this book like it felt pretty standalone yeah. but you get a little bit of the follow on from them destroying the Kendron in the last book though while we're talking about that scene it so one of the things that they say is that the Yerks have 10% of the police force and they're constantly <laughs> running cover for Visser 3's like messy operation <laughs> which is hilarious but then it made me think this is a someone from the police and a journalist talking mm-hmm. to Chapman. Yeah. So are they like actively investigating the Animorphs right now? Are they putting the resources of their controllers to bear and like hunting down the Animorphs? Because if so, they're doing a terrible <laughs> job. <laughs> well, they think they're hunting down like Andalites who live in the forest, right? Right. So, I mean, actually, I think we will see soon some of their efforts in that direction. Yeah. But, but yeah, they aren't like investigating humans in the town to see if they're turning into animals because they don't think anyone can do that. Right. 
Which does remind me. The Animorphs need to get an Andalite morph yesterday. <laughs> That's a good point. Because if they had gotten captured, yeah. then what they needed to do was to pretend to be Andalites, which they cannot do without an Andalite morph. You have an Andalite right there. Get on that. They can all be identical children Andalites. Okay, so the problem with that... <laughs> Why did eggs <laughs> pretend to be a pair of sex tuplets? <laughs> the, the other five of my sex... What do you even call that? You wouldn't say your twins. My sex tuplets are... <laughs> my sex tuplets will destroy you. <laughs> You're worse than okay, so there are a couple things, though. One is that they can't morph from animal directly into Andalite. So they would have to go through human form. So if they're captured in any form other than human, there's also... They wouldn't have any incentive to ever turn back into Andalites because if they're in a morph where they can't be infested, they wouldn't want to become Andalites. I guess if they're humans, that wouldn't make a difference. But, like, why would they morph once they're in captivity? It's still a good idea, but... I still think they should probably get on that. <laughs> They'll all just look like eggs. And, of course, Visor 3 would probably be able to tell because he has an Andalite body. So he'd be like, you guys are all the same Andalite. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where they're very reactive or, like, sort of adapt to the circumstances of the book. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they don't take a lot of those precautionary measures. Yeah, they kind of do one thing at a time. Assume that they yeah. take. Similarly, Axe morphs into a flea at some point, which is very clever because the flea lives on his body, which leads me to some other questions about morphing. Because yes! Where do they go? Where do they come from? Cotton and Joe. Um, <laughs> but also, um, if he's going to morph into a flea, couldn't they morph into mites? Because they're animals. Yeah. That we're constantly touching. So if you could just, you know, touch a place on your face that definitely has mites on it and, like, concentrate on one particular mite, then presumably you could get out of anywhere. Those things are tiny. Yeah, but could you do anything once you're a mite? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I would have said there's not much you could do as a flea, but yet I learned in this book fleas can leap many hundreds of times their height. flea facts. They're very useful in a fight, as is I would there, not have expected. Is there a living, morphable creature small enough that your, like, brain wouldn't fit in it? Okay, but your like, brain's already not in it. It's not the flea, right? Right. But, like, couldn't you get even smaller? What are you thinking, like, tardigrade? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Well, they're weird. They're very, t- very tiny. Little okay. water bears. They oh. can survive in being frozen and being dried out and again very useful very useful yeah they're super great so this actually leads to another question that i have brought up in the past about morphing which is morphing and yerks in particular Mm -hmm. just how does the the whole brain thing work if you morphed from a human with a yerk inside of you to a tardigrade which probably doesn't have the same kind of brain (laughs) probably not but it's hard to say yeah the yerk presumably goes with the rest of your mass into Z space. Again, I am but. pretty skeptical <laughs> of this Z space idea, and I'm very excited to finally get to there so I can be propter- properly skeptical about it. But yeah, I was curious about the fleas because, you know, Axe is suffering from the fleas. He could morph and then morph back and get rid of the flea bites. That seems, he doesn't seem like he would be like a frivolous morpher, so he probably hasn't done that. But if he morphs and then morphs back, do the fleas go with him the same way their morphing outfits do? Like, would they. It, it must come be. Yes. So does that mean... You don't lose your, like, gut biome when you morph, (laughs) right? Wow, that's such a good point. Mm -hmm. But does that mean that, like, Jake could morph a flea and go on Axe's body, and then if Axe morphs a flea, where is Jake? Yes. That's how you can get a real megamorph, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, an answer. I I like that. That's a very interesting question. I was also, on a different morphing subject, curious about whether... Like, Axe talked about how different, like, different stuff happens at different times and morphs. Sometimes you, like, change the animal while you're still large. And Cassie's really good at controlling that stuff. I wonder if she could morph, like, a giant flea or, like, a tiny human. There are many possibilities there. Right, control it so much that her size changes and then she waits. Yes, and then she stops morphing. Right. Or everything else changes before the size and then she stops morphing. Right. She could be, like, an enormous bird. Yeah, that's fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, I think they should. Another thing they could explore. And I think they are getting better at kind of half morphing, right? Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of ways that came up. Because they want to sort of like morph in and out 
um, just to trigger the Valique's hunger, mm-hmm. right? To distract it. So they're kind of like morphing and demorphing. And then Jake is like halfway into morph when he clambers into the back of the pickup truck, which is like a pretty Sounds sophisticated really move, right? <laughs> if you're concentrating on the morph and then you're also like climbing around a moving vehicle. So they're definitely like getting better at it. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. They also might be getting faster because Marco was in the atmosphere. He was a gorilla. He morphs to human and to bird before he hits the ground. And I meant to look up how fast you fall, but it's not long. Like, it does not take long. Yeah. And Cassie morphs from a cockroach to a human. To a whale. To a whale in less yeah. space. Although right. Cassie, like, hits the Valique and it's slowing her down, which might... Right. But so I did a little bit of research, and I'm yeah. by no means an expert in this, but... <laughs> Assuming that Axe and Marco are sort of like at skydiving height Mm -hmm. when they fall, they have about probably two minutes max free fall in order to for Marco to do two. Marco does say it took about a minute to turn from the gorilla, and gorilla is pretty close to him. So so previously we'd had kind of like a two to three a two to three minute rule, right? Yeah, Uh, and so but that's like that's like ten thousand feet, maybe twelve (laughs) thousand feet if you're if you're generous. And so then at the end, Cassie does the same thing from a little over a thousand feet in Ooh. the air, which means that she's doing it. You know, the Valique that's does point, catch her, yeah. right? But yeah. that's probably like 15 to 20 seconds of free fall oh. at most. So she's going to get caught pretty quickly or she's just like an incredibly fast morpher. She is fast. That seems really fast. Yeah. I was wondering while reading, like, why did Axe bother morphing also? Because... Couldn't he just stay a flea on Marco? But then we just had this conversation about how maybe then he would have ended up in Z-Space with the rest of Marco's mass when he turned into a bird. Maybe he didn't want to risk that. Right. I hope we get an answer to that at some point. Should we talk about Rachel? This Rachel, is definitely Rachel, Rachel. this is like my introductory experience with amnesia as a trope. Like anytime <laughs> yeah, anytime oh, so any, you. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> anytime anyone in books or whatever has amnesia, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, so they remember the background details of the world and not the specifics of their life, just like Rachel. <laughs> That's how amnesia works. But she remembers She remembers who she is. Or she learns who she is pretty quickly. But she is herself very solidly, even while not remembering. She's like, I could either get eaten by this thing or run into traffic. And she's like, yep, I can take on traffic. <laughs> she thinks, whoever I was, I had a temper. <laughs> There's a few moments with her and Cassie where Cassie's kind of trying to remind her of who she mm-hmm. is. And Rachel will say or do something. And Cassie's like, that's my Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. And right, Cassie's sort of like feeling guilty, and Rachel's like, "Just move on." Yes. She's already, she's already back to that. And then mm-hmm. when she meets Marco, she's like, "Do I normally like this? Or do I normally <laughs> kick your butt?" <laughs> Very good line. Yeah, there was that brief mention near the end of her having trouble dealing with the amnesia. Mm-hmm. Like Cassie felt like she was going through a tough time because there was this thing that was inside her body that she had to fight. Mm-hmm. And I buy that for Rachel, but we also don't really see much of it. Like, she isn't... Maybe that's very Rachel, where she's not concerned about it when she has problems to solve, and then when it's over, it kind of mm-hmm. comes Right, but it. we don't get it a lot in her chapters, because her chapters no. are all driving the action forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's just well, a short It's a short mention from Cassie that um, Rachel is someone who's always in control. She's very brave at dealing with threats, but this was something new to her, a threat that had come from inside. We do, you're right, Ted, that her chapters are kind of driven by action, but there's lots of time for her to stop and be like, but who am I? Right. And it didn't feel like Cassie's summation of the struggle really reflected what I'd seen from her. Yeah, though they, they don't necessarily always do a great job of picking up what's going on with the other Animorphs. That's true. Yeah, so there was some, like, Rachel-Cassie friendship stuff here. There was Cassie being like, oh, yeah, Rachel's number. I've dialed this every day for years. And then she's like, oh, hey, Jordan, like, is Rachel home? And she, like, clearly this friendship is there. What the heck is it based on? (laughs) I know. The other moment that stood out to me like that about Cassie is that Cassie's mom appears briefly. Mm -hmm. But all she says is, Cassie, come in. Your favorite TV show is on. It's like they couldn't couldn't even pick. They couldn't even pick a reference for her. It has to be a generic TV show that she likes. Animal Planet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Even that would have been better. That might have gotten to the realm of parody. (laughs) There there are a few moments of that. Actually, Ted, this is something you mentioned earlier, but there are some things that we get descriptions of 
but it's very much a tell don't show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think the Cassie and Rachel relationship is another example of that yeah. where we're told that they're best friends we don't really see that it really struck me how Cassie and Rachel that moment when Cassie was dealing with the guilt and the cowardice and Rachel just wants to move on like Rachel can't even register what's going on with Cassie and I just can't imagine them. Right, she's not being a good friend. She's not being a good friend, which is kind of fair because she doesn't know this person. Why is she going to be a good friend to her? And they have really pressing concerns. But, But like, I feel it reflects. It's that they have that dynamic. I mean, that's very Rachel in anything she does. It's not like she's particularly unkind to Cassie. Yeah, and, like, what we're told is that they're best friends. What we're shown is that they're completely incompatible as friends. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important. I'd also like to talk about Cassie's fear and and her sort of cowardice moments. Mm -hmm. It's such a wonderful insight into who she is, but also such an understandable moment. Yeah. I I get her feeling. She's 13 years old. She's dealing with all of these things. It's very difficult. It's very scary. And I think she has the most, in some ways, a very human reaction that the Mm -hmm. other ones are just kind of plowing through this and just accepting it as it is in a lot of ways and she's saying no this is scary I don't really know what I'm doing I don't have the instincts for this Mm -hmm. and we see that in her actions right her instinct is somewhat protective and defensive rather than Rachel's instinct which is to kind of charge right in (laughs) turn around and face the valique as the elephant and they're like yep that's Rachel (laughs) there she is Um, and that's sort of what happens when she abandons not abandons but if she had morphed, right. she might have saved Marco from being taken up into the spaceship. It's probably good she didn't because then he was able to get Axe out. Mm-hmm. But and that's also, what she feels. She wouldn't have been able to keep helping Rachel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good but point. it is, it's one of the, maybe the first time we really see a character choosing cowardice in the series. And it's probably a little unrealistic that we haven't seen it so far. We saw Cassie kind of flirt with it in her book where she's like I don't want to lead everyone into danger I don't want to do that mm-hmm. and Cassie's kind of the one who has to deal with that like it is not an attractive emotion like but it's mm-hmm. so human it's so understandable mm-hmm. and I loved also that we got Tobias's perspective of it at the end yeah that conversation was great <laughs> it's like and this is a girl who thought she was a coward it's amazing how people can just not know themselves at all mm-hmm. but right before that there is a section where Tobias is so Rachel has not comforted Cassie in her feeling of being a coward. Mm-hmm. And so as she's doing this whole elaborate plan, she talks to Tobias about it, and she asks him if he's ever afraid. Mm-hmm. And Tobias gives her this wonderful little speech about he's afraid of everything. He's afraid of the Yerks and all of these predators that are after him as he's a as he's a hawk. And he says, that's just the natural environment. Add to that the yerks, the fact that I wake up sometimes and don't remember exactly what I am, boy mm-hmm. or bird. Yeah, Cassie, I'm afraid a lot of the time. And she asks, how you handle? How do you handle it? Who says I handle it? There's only one way to deal with fear. Be afraid. Be afraid and then go ahead and do what you have to do anyway. So I think Tobias is once again filling his role as the kind of heart or the soul of the group, <laughs> right? He's, he's giving this yeah. incredibly wise advice, mm-hmm. especially for a 13-year-old. And empathizing with her from his own experience in a way that Rachel is not really able to do and providing that comfort and motivation for her to move forward. It was such a wonderful insight into Tobias. Um, I really loved it. Yeah. I love Tobias. Yeah, I was sad he wasn't more in the story, though I can see why they had him not feature in the wonderful car chase <laughs> sequence and because he can't morph. He can't morph, yeah. so he's not strategically important. Which yeah. Jake points bummer. out by saying, <clears throat> you're the only one who can't morph, so the Valique isn't interested. Lucky you. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! Tobias is having a bit of a moment where he realizes that for at least the second book in a row, he has been completely left out of the action and people have forgotten his existence. Right. And mm-hmm. they could have all been killed while he was sleeping. Yes. Yeah. How is no he going to figure it out? No one thinks to check oh in. Oh my god, yeah. Hey, here's they, what happened. They, the N-Horse could have lost, all been captured and destroyed, and then like they eventually would have like he hunted down know. Tobias somewhere, right? Yeah, he <laughs> wouldn't have because he was sleeping. He's very upset about it. And then he says, I can't believe that Cassie felt like the weak link in our group. I mean, I was the one who had slept through half of what happened. It was embarrassing. It was frustrating. Everyone's harder on themselves than they are yeah. on yeah. each other. Stop That's... leaving Tobias out of things. 
Yeah, that's something else I want to give Cassie credit for because I really like getting her perspective in this book. But she she's cowardly. She kind of admits she's relieved that she doesn't have to do that mission earlier and she'd rather mm-hmm. go to the mall. But like the initiative following Chapman is great, right? Mm-hmm. She comes up with the whale idea. I think yeah. she makes the connection. Yeah, mm-hmm. she makes the connection yeah, about the, the belief and comes realizes, up with the whale idea yeah. and then she insists that she volunteer. And it makes sense. She's, yeah. as we were talking about, if she had to morph... In like 30 seconds, (laughs) she's the only one who Mm -hmm. even had a chance of doing that. Mm -hmm. And so she actually is really, you know, really brave. Yeah. And she also does a good job of reading the group. Like, maybe Tobias is the only one who could have helped her there, but maybe she recognized that, like, he needed a way to feel involved. Mm. She is the one who stops the argument between Jake and Marco at the beginning by being like, I need someone to lift stuff from my truck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very Cassie being Cassie. There's actually quite a bit at the end of the book. We get these glimpses into each of them as they are after this adventure. So we get Mm -hmm. the Rachel bit about her being kind of quiet after this experience. Um, There's a a line about someday Jake will be a general or a president. (laughs) He has that ability to make hard decisions, even about people he cares for. There's kind of Jake still being Jake. And then there's Cassie as the whale and her kind of joy in that morph. The hope. Yeah, so she says it isn't words exactly, speaking of the whale song, but if it were, it would just be one word, hope which I thought was an absolutely lovely tie back to something that they say when Cassie and Rachel are together um, and Cassie is explaining what's going on to Rachel. (laughs) This is one of Rachel's chapters. And Rachel says, this isn't much of a plan. Are you Animorphs always this hopeless? (laughs) Pretty much, Cassie said ruefully. The bad guys have all the power. Sometimes we think it's all a hopeless fight. A hopeless fight, I asked. Isn't that the best kind? (laughs) Rachel. But it was a lovely, like, there is actually hope, and you can see it in some of these animals. I thought that was very sweet. There's this really nice ongoing theme of, like, fighting even when it seems hopeless. Is it actually Mm -hmm. hopeless? Maybe the Elemist says it's hopeless, but it's not because we can change the future. As long as there's life, there's hope. And now Cassie kind of ending in this explosion of hope. Mm -hmm. Right. I loved the return of the whale and the like magical magical whale speech and stuff. It all it works really well here. It does. Yeah, it's not it's as contrived. Functions very differently here. We've yeah. a, we've dealt with that in a previous book that this is how whales are and the mm-hmm. animorphs aren't faced yeah. by it. I loved it. A few other character things we finally get insight into the other characters' view on Rachel and Tobias. I know. Cassie <laughs> ships them. Cassie has a theory that they like each other mm-hmm. and she thinks it's romantic and Jake thinks it's kind of sad. And they're both right. They're both right. Rachel kind of takes care of stuff Tobias needs. Yes. She brings him books. (laughs) So sweet. I can just picture him in his meadow, like, turning the pages with his beak. Right. And Jake tells us that Cassie's talking about their relationship, but Rachel doesn't think, I kind of have a crush on them, even though he's a bird. Right. She's like, oh, yeah, I just do things for him sometimes. You know, there's nothing (laughs) I don't like like Normal people do it. I mean, we're sort of getting the characters talking to us a little bit. Like, I don't know that she wouldn't admit it to herself. Like, I don't know that she doesn't think she has feelings for Tobias. I think it's exactly yeah. that. It's that yeah. she wouldn't tell right. us. This is, the, right. this is one of the few show, showing not telling moments. Yeah. Right? right? They're not telling us that she likes him. They're just showing us the ways in which she cares for him. And we had some nice Cassie Jake moments. Uh-huh. We had the thing at the end where it's clear that he cares about her. He's really worried, but he's willing to make the decision, give her the go-ahead she needs. Uh-huh. And we had the moment where they have like the emotional conversation at the beginning. We have another thing where there is a dream introduced to bring in an emotional theme at the beginning of the book that otherwise wouldn't seem like would seem like it was coming out of nowhere later if they didn't have a dream about it. A little bit. Well, also Jake's dream, though, with the tiger. <clears throat> right, mm. right. Dreams are really a thing. There was something in the Cassie and Jake moments in this book that were just like so normal and so brought me back to my like yeah. you know like middle school crushes just like <laughs> the detail about like you know Jake puts his arm around her and he can feel her bare arms like Whoa. when it's cold out and then like they're at the pool and they're sitting next to each other and she kind of like whispers in his ear a little bit it was so middle spending school spending time together at a party with other people around where people can see them talking to I each know, other. I know, they're really, they really are officially a thing. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah, they're not like with their groups of friends, like just looking at each other. No, they're sitting next to each other. Mm-hmm. While we're on Jake, I'm just, I'm going to keep bringing this up because we keep not getting clarity. Jake isn't some big tough guy or anything. <laughs> <clears throat> but he's got kind of an Arnold thing going on. <laughs> 
true. <laughs> what size is he? I don't know. He's not a big, tough guy. He seems bigger than he is. Juan thinks he should be on the football team. I don't even know, guys. One character we haven't discussed very much is Marco, mm-hmm. who doesn't show to his best advantage. I do not. Again, <laughs> I, I have a lot of Marco, are you kidding me, in my notes because he just keeps saying the worst possible thing. He, he is very self-aware, I think, right? So at one point he says, Rachel's in here to cast her vote, so on her behalf, I'll say what she would say. What we need to do is find a way to kick this the leaks, but... Yeah, I, lo- I love great. that part. Yeah. And Cassie yeah. says, what would Marco say? And Marco he says, is very he'd, smart. He'd probably, yeah, <laughs> he'd probably make some stupid but very funny remark. Then he would start thinking about how to do just that. That, kick this big windbag's dusty butt. Great. Very yes. self-aware. Yes. Very, very funny. But then he also <sighs> has a lot of things about asking Rachel why she doesn't dress like Xena. The whole leather and sword thing would really work for you. Then there's a whole bit about people who shouldn't be on the beach. At least that That one wasn't misogynistic, but it was ageist and fatphobic. So not a lot of credit there. Yeah. There's just a lot of... And there's a few other moments where I was just like, I mean, everything with Darlene is very, like, it's, you know, he's 13. He's being very mature in this context, even though, as we've discussed, there are ways in which he's very mature and he kind of makes up for it by being very immature in other ways. But he's really not nice about Darlene, and in a lot of gendered ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Yikes, Marco. Um, we talked a little bit about Tobias. I just wanted to mention, so he doesn't feature in this book as much as some of the other ones. He's not as much a part of the action. But we do get some nice insight into his his attitude about his way of life. He seems pretty much pretty at peace with it. He has a great bird-related comeback to Marco, and he's like, come over here, Marco. Come stand under my branch. That was very funny. Right. He's kind of turned the tables in that. Marco yeah. used to be able to tease him, and people would think it was awkward, and now Tobias is just giving Right, he's giving he it back, yeah. yeah. And then there was also some really nice perspective on the dangers that he sees in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really seeing the dangers of the natural world, and he sees the naivete of, like, Marco and Axe just walking across the lawn as mice. He's like... I mean, you might as well just tie raw steaks to your legs and go for a walk with a wolf pack. (laughs) He's really come to inhabit this sort of perspective on the world. And then there's also really sad stuff. Like, I had the other Animorphs and Axe for friends, but I didn't have friends like myself. Hawks don't get together and have parties. Mostly when you see another hawk, it means trouble, a fight for territory. Which is really sad. And also, in other ways, like, kind of nice that he is thinking of himself this way, that he's like... I didn't have friends like myself. Hawks don't get together. Like, he kind of has reached this acceptance. There's also a line where he and Axe spend a lot of time together in the woods. Oh, yeah. But there's another tell-don't-show moment because they say that, but there is no real evidence of Axe and Tobias having a... Unlike Axe and Marco. (laughs) Yeah, having developed this kind of friendship out of their mutual loneliness, which I think was uh, sort of interesting. I thought that, particularly in the scene in the woods with the, the woman who had been a controller... There was a parallel being drawn there with the Yerks who take over your mind and Rachel's own memories sort of being this evil thing that is infiltrating her thoughts. Like, she's sort of free of that. Like, she gets amnesia. She's right. free of the, the fight in her head. Um, and But then she has these dreams and they're sort of invading her mind. Yeah, you could have played that so differently where she gets amnesia and then... She's just kind of being normal, dealing with a lot of really normal problems, and then suddenly all of this weight comes back at once yeah. when she remembers that she's actually at war. But yeah. instead, it's like she's at war and she doesn't know what's going on right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like her life has been invaded by the Yerks, really a little bit metaphorically, but just as much as that woman's head was invaded by a Yerk. There was that also reminds me of another moment uh, in Jake's chapter at the pool party when. Darlene starts screaming and runs out of the building. There's like this little really telling bit where he's like, so I did what I always do and started looking for exits, looking for safe places to morph. Like he's like, he goes immediately into like, oh God, how do I survive in this situation? And like, Mm. what's the plan? What's the plan? And he's, you know, supposed to be just a kid hanging out at a pool party. His two contexts are conflicting and he has to choose between them. I thought plot wise, they used limitations really well. Like 
to be fair, there was a lot of coincidence. It's such but... a small town <laughs> for all of the like running around in the forest and it's a big forest, blah, blah, blah. There's an awful lot of like, Tobias, <laughs> oh, I saw an eagle crash. You know? <laughs> and Tobias is like, oh yeah, except that crazy woman in the cabin. I'm like, man, Tobias, if you put this knowledge to use. Yes, Tobias, if you have a friend who can turn into a bald eagle and you see a bald eagle crash, <laughs> maybe go check. Maybe. You don't have to get into the <laughs> But his territory. only friend who's a bald eagle is at gymnastics camp, Greg. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> she couldn't possibly go check. Yeah. But I I actually kind of bought the thing where they're in Wolf Morph, they can smell the bear. I'm like, wait, how are they not gonna find Rachel? And they're like, Okay, well we we're almost out of time. We're losing the daylight. Our parents expect us back. We'd have to, like, morph out and morph again. And we just, you know, we can't go look for it. I was like, okay, you're, like, using the limitations of the norm- of the normal lives, like your mm-hmm. parents and the two hours and the daylight. Like, it all, like, okay, I can see how you didn't find Rachel. Yeah, Jake, uh, Jake gets back at midnight and gets grounded for oh. five weeks. Very funny. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Good thing he can turn into a bird and fly out his window. Right. We got some more mentions of the year internal politics. That was fun. Oh, yeah. Visser 1 has agents on Earth. Yeah. That, that jumped out to me. The Visser 1, Visser 3 thing is really heating up. Right. That reminded me, Chapman refers to them as Andalite terrorists, <laughs> which is the first time that's been used. Mm-hmm. But that's really pretty accurate. Like, that's the that's what they're doing. Yeah, or, or like guerrilla resistance fighters. Right. Again, guerrilla. Mm, yes, yes. Yeah, they're the, <laughs> the, the Minuteman. Right. You only get to be resistance fighters if you're the good guys. If you're the bad guys, you're terrorists. Yeah, terminology. There's a thing at the end, just to go back to Cassie really briefly, where she was, like, she was really finding strength through being the whale. And I was thinking, like, she really is the one who does that the most. Like, mm-hmm. like thinks about the strength that they're getting from the animals. And it's such a nice characterization thing for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they all sort of, you know, they're all taking advantage of the animals' capabilities and sometimes of what the animals' minds can do for them um, in terms of, like, hiding or destruction or, like, dealing with their emotions. Right. But, and she still, she has the brief pang of guilt that she can't ask the whale's permission yeah, before yeah. acquiring it. Mm-hmm. Still, that theme is still there. Are we ready for the 90s stuff? Yeah, there are a lot of 90s references in this one. And for the first time, I'm reading the original and not an updated version. So these have not been changed. Well, I don't think there is an updated version. So we might have to yeah. make the changes ourselves. Okay, I have some suggestions it. for how to do Excellent. that. Excellent. 90s references in these books include a couple of references of uh, current celebrities. The Arnold oh. reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Brad Pitt is used yeah, as the yeah. symbol of sexiness. There are no Brad Pitt flies. Exactly. When the truck crashes, it is a truck full of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, <laughs> and the two flavors that spill on the road are Cherry Garcia, still around, and Wavy Gravy, which, listen, I am an ice cream connoisseur, and I was, like, not currently a flavor, so I went oh, and looked it up. okay. It was a flavor from 1993 to 2001. It is named oh. after an entertainer, Hugh Nanton Romney, whose nickname was Wavy Gravy. Really? Because the 60s were a very weird time. <laughs> he was a, a American entertainer and activist for peace. He was like at Woodstock and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a caramel cashew Brazil nut ice cream with a chocolate hazelnut fudge swirl and roasted almonds. I want to go to Ben so Jerry's just, now. Yeah? How yeah, dare you? It doesn't sound Is like there a gravy. Around here? It doesn't, nor <laughs> wavy. Uh, but That's probably a good thing. Gravy is not a good ice cream flavor, I'd imagine. It's a weird name for a... Uh, for an ice cream, but that's Ben and Jerry's for you. They do tape things on VCR. <laughs> they were taping the news on VCR, in fact, ah, which okay. is how they saw Rachel. And it is also how they, they always tape the news. Yeah. They're but always recording the news. So they, they can go and As you do. <laughs> freeze they frame did have enhance. freeze frame. That yeah. was pretty impressive. Uh, there was the reference to um, Baywatch and David Hasselhoff uh-huh. Uh-huh. from Marco. Thank you very much. Um, when Jake is grounded, he's no longer allowed television or Sega. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. Um, the uh, Marco refers to the the Visser ship as looking like something from the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, and then he references uh, this was the worst part. Instead of either Captain Kirk or Captain Picard, there was Visser three, which I thought was interesting because in the nineties there were two other Star Trek currently on air. There's Deep Space Nine from 93 to 99 <laughs> and Voyager from 95 to 01. Cisco and Janeway not included in his list of captains who could yeah. have been on the bridge. That's a good call. I noticed that actually and I was wondering like 
when those seri- other series happened. So thank you for doing I looked the research. It up. Yeah, my... I think that might be the author's like knowledge of well, Star they, Trek. They're writing a book this. a month. They don't have time to watch Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I get exactly. it. That's fine. Um, and then finally, we do have one more list of store malls. But you missed the one where a guy pulls out a camcorder and starts <gasps> recording the crash on the highway. You're correct. I had forgotten about yeah. that. He had his camcorder, and that's how the footage got in the news of Rachel. A battery-powered camcorder in the 90s. That's pretty good. Yeah, apparently. You have to plug it in. Yeah. Maybe it was plugged into his, uh, his, like, his... (laughs) lighter What is it? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. But, yeah, no, he would have pulled out, you know, his phone, started recording. Yeah. Or everyone would have pulled out their phones and started recording. Yes, exactly. So that's that's an easy update. We also had another list of stores at the local mall. Yeah. And that list was Radio Shack, August Woman, Godiva, The Gap, Mrs. Fields, Casual Corner, B. Dalton, Kinney Shoes, Banana Republic. So we've had a B. Dalton before. That was yeah. changed to Barnes & Noble. She even goes into the B. Dalton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's Barnes & Noble. We're fine with that. Yeah. Uh, I suggest Kinney Shoes, uh, Foot Locker, because it actually oh, was the same okay. company. Oh, there you oh go. great. Yeah. I was going to go with DSW, but that makes more yep. sense. Foot Locker. Uh, Banana Republic, Godiva, that's The fine. Gap, all still around. Yep, yep. Uh, same with Radio Shack, like mostly. Didn't Radio Shack go out of business? Are they back? Is that a thing? They mostly went out of business. They're still mostly out of business. I think there's okay. like three of them. They're Maybe like it's an Apple store. Oh, it could be an Apple that's, store? That's yeah. much better. There would be an Apple store. Um, August Women and Casual Corner. I don't know what those are. Those are both women's clothing stores. But August Women, I think, was never actually called that. It was called <laughs> August Max Woman. Oh. Not that that makes a huge difference. But anyway, insert any of your favorite women's right. clothing stores there. And then I think we're up to date. So... Don't worry, guys. We've we've updated this book. Okay, but what are the women's clothing stores that we're going to answer? I feel like it's oh. important. Um, Where would Rachel shop? <laughs> I don't Do we know. have... I mean, she references the Limited at one point, so maybe we'll throw the Limited in the there. The Limited and then, like, Talbots or something. Oh, we Talbots. Need, we need a woman's Yeah, the woman's line. Yeah. 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 White House Black Market. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. I was definitely thinking... Oh, gosh, I can only think of mall stores that a teenager would go into. <laughs> Charlotte <laughs> Roos, not helpful. That's not <laughs> Bad news. And Taylor. And Taylor. There we go. Uh, so that's our, uh, that's our new list. Anything okay. else I missed? I feel like, so what would we put for Sega? Would you say like Xbox or? No. No? No. What, what, what would what? Sega be equi- the equivalent to? Is Sega a game? It's like a game system. It's a game it's system. Like Xbox, yeah. Right? So right. what would you substitute? If you get grounded from video games today, what would you get grounded from? Steam? I mean, it would it would almost be like Fortnite. Like you can't. Okay, um, but that's a game. Well, right, but I, that's 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 like not the, like the game it's the system. Omnipresent platform. That's what the kids are playing. But like, right. is Fortnite a platform? No, but it's just that you don't you aren't necessarily playing by yourself on your like console. You're playing on your computer connected. Oh, to the would Fortnite not be? Friends. Would it not right. be so you on could your play console Fortnite connected? On, yeah. I mean, okay. it could be a Nintendo Switch. It could be any mm. kind of. He might get grounded from his laptop. I mean, yeah, he would be grounded yeah, from his laptop from and his laptop. phone, maybe. Yeah, that would be rough. What were the other things that we need to replace? They're recording. I mean, they could record the news. They probably just look mm-hmm. the news up on YouTube. Sure. Yeah, what about they just they just go back. They just Google that on the live clip. stream. They just click back a few <laughs> seconds. Baywatch and David Hasselhoff. I don't know. Are there? There's a new Baywatch now with oh, Dwayne okay. the Rock Johnson, I think. <laughs> or is it? I think it is. Well, okay, then it so can be perfect. Yeah. Baywatch, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And uh, what's your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor? I don't know. I can't think of any of them right now. Americone Dream. There we go. Also <laughs> named pun. after an. I'm just thinking though, if you update this, then the Valik is going to be all over Instagram. Right, <laughs> the kids at the pool party, right, mm-hmm. and then so there'd, there'd be all of this like found footage stuff going on. Yeah, and then, like, that is sort of a strategy question. If we're updating this, are we trying to update it to things mm-hmm. that are neutral that like existed in the '90s and today? Mm. Like, prob like the limited was still around. Like, that's probably fine. I don't know if the loft would exist in the '90s. We should find out. Like, that kind of thing. Or are we trying to update it like as if it were written in 2019? Well, we've had a little bit of both, right, yeah, in the other updates, tough. where there have been some things Not where, everyone has DVR. Yeah, some things are just straight up, they just updated it, and some things are, you know, Barnes & Noble, which was probably around in the 90s, right. which yeah. was around I think it's more important for people to get the reference than it is yeah. for us to try and yeah. hash out new plots that make sense. Because if we're going <laughs> to update this for plots that make sense, there's a lot of things. There are other considerations, yeah. exactly. Though, I don't know, I mean, I do feel... 
that the updates in 2011 really underestimated kids' ability to be like, oh, a thing I don't know. I'm sure that's a thing adults would know. I just don't know it yet. And just right. like, move yeah. on. And it's <laughs> pretty easy to figure out. Most Still of how I context. treat every instance of British currency in literature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, a quid. I don't know how much that is. Like, that's either a really large amount of money or a small one. They Who pay knows? Uh, money to do the thing. <laughs> so... Should we look at the cover of the next book? Okay. The Alien. So this comes after a Rachel book, right? So mm-hmm. you know whose book it's going to be. It's going right? to be Tobias, right? That's, Maybe you should look that makes at sense, right? Book, yeah. But... Oh, no. Okay. Uh, the title for next time is The Alien. This is clearly meant to be Axe. Or an Andalite. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming it's Axe. He's only human when he wants to be, is the little tagline on the mm-hmm. cover. The new cover is... Very bad. Ooh, it's I actually, want to see the new cover. It's it's worse than the old version of this cover. I mean, that's true for most of them. <laughs> oh, right. You showed us this. That's that's terrible. It's very bad. Yeah. It's just like a it's kid who's got Valley. kind of it's... Andalite eyes and a like, wide face. Yeah, it's really... Oh, yeah, it's... blue. There's Ooh. some blue. There's yeah. a little blue creeping up his neck. It's very creepy. Um, okay, so I'm going to assume Axe is the main character, and if they have taken a narrative, uh, point of view narration away from Tobias and given it to Axe, I'm going to be a little grumpy about it because we know how I feel about Tobias. Um, but it does make sense that we've already had his perspective. He's a bird. What are you going to do? Now Axe needs to learn about different morphs. Fine. Um, maybe this is going to be an entire book of Axe learning more about being a human and hilarity will ensue. So, so Axe is the alien. I think it's Axe is the alien. alien. Mm-hmm. I think Axe is the alien. And What's the lesson he learns about? Well, he's going to learn he doesn't need to continue to try to get back to his home world. He, he's going to have some sort of elucidation moment where he decides mm. he's, he's in the fight. Yeah, um, we haven't seen him commit to their fight specifically. Right, exactly. And so yeah. he's obviously he committed to like, the Jake war. He says, like, Jake is temporarily right. my prince. Exactly. I think he's going to commit to being on Earth and fighting with the Animorphs mm-hmm. and also maybe finally admit his love for Marka. <laughs> we can only hope. Do you think he will learn to bake his own cinnamon buns? I do not. I don't think he's got enough talent for that yet. Okay. But I do maybe think not in this book. Yeah, maybe, maybe later he'll, book. he'll take a trip to the mall maybe and revisit the cinema. I want to see, I mean, obviously it's not the next book because it would be a spoiler and I wouldn't tell you, but I want to see the book where he undertakes a dangerous mission to break into the Cinnabon factory and learn their recipe. I love it. That's a great idea. I don't know if they have a factory. Maybe right. just the he store at the mall. He learned that humans can cook. Whoa, right? that's true. Axe learning to cook and or starting a cooking well, he, show. No, he, he probably has learned. Yeah, when he was with Jake's family, they must have cooked food. Right. But does he, you know, pretending to be a 13-year-old, would he have actually cooked things? No, I don't think he would have right. cooked. I think, I, I think he would have avoided that for the good of everyone. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I forgot to mention earlier was the cover of the Megamorphs one. Hi, this cover is awful. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> it's just, that's it. It's it was a really well-expressed point. It's it's creepy. I, I don't understand any of it. And the inside open cover is all of their hands, but like halfway between hand and animal, and I hate it. Yeah, they're like animal print hands. Yeah, they're real yeah. creepy. Well, then that seems like it's about it from Megamorphs 1. The Andalite's gift. Yeah. See you next time for The Alien. Keep it. If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Anamorphs ebooks on our website. Once I got grounded from reading for a week. What did you do? I don't even remember. I was real mean. Hi, Mom and Dad.